Richard would be far too young to know that, are you sitting comfortably, then I'll begin. Who remembers that from Listen with Mother? Okay, so it's a much younger congregation than I sort of uh, imagined uh, there. We'll tell you about it someday, uh, Richard. Well-known phrase or saying. It's, it's like when Billy Graham came to Glasgow and 2,000 or so of us were in the choir in Celtic Park and Cliff Barrow's Billy Graham song leader stood up in front of us and said, hey, nice to see you. And 2,000 voices said, to see you nice. And he hadn't a clue, not a clue what was going on because he hadn't been introduced to St. Bruce Forsyth. Well, one or two people have asked us on the way in this morning, did we do the half marathon? And so I feel obliged to tell you, yes, because you supported us in this. We completed the half marathon, Litchfield half marathon, our first, two weeks ago today in searing heat, and we both lived to tell the tale. So just to let you know. And just to say thank you for sponsoring us, I think it was between 750 and 800 pounds that's gone to Alzheimer's Research UK. So thank you for that uh, too. Many of you will know that on Sunday mornings, we're in the middle of a series on the gifts of the Spirit. That's appropriate that Pentecost Sunday should fall on that day because that's the day that the Holy Spirit fell, the birthday of the church, and we discover that the Holy Spirit not only infills Christians and produces fruit in our lives, but the Holy Spirit also gives gifts to Christians, gifts for service. And uh, I, I wasn't here last week, we were in, in the Lake District, I, I was speaking on a, a walking holiday last week, and uh, I missed John Farron's talk on healing, and I did listen to it yesterday morning just to check that what I'd prepared before we went to the Lake District wasn't going to contradict what he'd said last week about healing, and I think we're safe enough. Although as far as I can see, John Farron has left the building, a bit like Elvis, and uh, so he won't be able to check me out unless it's on the uh, podcast. But I want to say, I believe in miracles. There used to be a song that was popular, I believe in miracles, for I believe in God. There was a Pentecostal church that I had to do with in uh, one of my previous incarnations, and, and their sort of uh, theme was... Uh, no miracles, no Jesus. It was a bold slogan, and many people have taken a slogan like that and majored on the miraculous. And some over the years, in defense of the bold statement, have exaggerated, have manipulated, and have faked, bringing into disrepute not only themselves, but the concept of contemporary miracles through the power of God. When are we going to do the stuff? asked newly converted John Wimber, backing musician to the 60s rock band, The Righteous Brothers. What stuff, the church leaders asked him. You know, what it says in the Bible, heal the sick, raise the dead. Do you believe in miracles? Actually, it's pretty hard to be a Christian without believing in the ultimate miracle, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. We were thinking about that on Easter Sunday, that the evidence is strong, and Paul argues that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then our faith is futile, we're still in our sins, and are of all people to be most pitied. As we realize our Christian faith grew out of the heritage of Judaism, and the Jewish faith is defined by a miracle, the exodus of the enslaved children of God from Egypt with the spectacular parting of the waters of the Red Sea just long enough 
to let the Israelites through before closing in and drowning the pursuing Egyptians. My secondary school headmaster did not believe in miracles. In our RE lessons, he told us that the Red Sea was in actual fact the Sea of Reeds. It was very shallow, and Moses knew where the causeway was. When I moved to Glasgow some years ago, I lived in the street which had once been home to Professor William Barclay, a professor of theology at Glasgow University, a popular Bible commentary writer and a television presenter. Who, who knows his name? Who's read his by daily study Bible and stuff? So you know something of William Barclay, some of you. I valued much of his writing on biblical background. But when it came to the miraculous, we parted company. He suggested the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was not a physical miracle of multiplication, but a miracle of sharing. He argued that when the small boy offered his packed lunch, the crowds were shamed into sharing theirs with their neighbors. Oh dear, take it out from under my cloak. Give some to somebody else. When I read explanations like that, I tend to go along the spectrum to sympathize with the no miracles, no Jesus brigade. But what is a miracle? Except in the spiritual gift listing in 1 Corinthians 12, which we're working through week by week on Sunday mornings, miracles and healings and exorcisms and even tongues and interpretation of tongues are grouped together. And it's difficult to sort of separate what's going on when we're thinking of the supernatural realm of the Spirit. But what is a miracle? Try this definition for size. Let's get Barclay off the screen. What is a miracle? Miracles are supernatural events that occur outside the bounds of what is natural. And therefore, by definition, they are rare and out of the ordinary. Or this, miracles occur through our own inadequacy when we can't do the stuff. Miracles are the crucible in which faith is formed. Or what about this one? Mary, a virgin, visited by an angel and told she will become pregnant without the involvement of a man, and she responds, nothing is impossible with God. That's a great expression. Nothing is impossible with God. The things that we can't do, God can do, and we tend to call them miracles. Or what about this comment on miracles? Miracles are not abnormal. They are a glimpse into the normal of God's kingdom. We've been praying this week, thy kingdom come. If we use the Lord's prayer, we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for God's kingdom to be expressed here, and the miraculous is part of the normality of God's kingdom. So a miracle is something which defies rational explanation, which appears impossible if not for the intervention of the Creator into His creation, suspending the natural order which He's put in place to work out His purposes. And often when we read about miracles in the Bible, they occur to authenticate the ministry of a man or a woman of God. So in the Old Testament, we've got the hilltop contest between Elijah and the priests of Baal. Let the true God answer by fire, and Elijah's sacrifice is consumed by war fire. By the way, my headmaster thought the liquid poured over Elijah's sacrifice was paraffin, not water. <laughs> We've got Daniel spending the night with ferocious lions which behave like pussycats. His mate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pass unscathed through a fiery furnace, and so on, and so on, and so on. Or perhaps not. 
Because when we read our Bibles carefully, such miracles were not two a penny everyday occurrences. They were special, and that's why we remember them. In the New Testament, Jesus performed a number of what we might call nature miracles. Water into wine, stilling the storm, multiplying packed lunches to feed thousands on at least two occasions, walking on water. And such miracles were used as evidence that Jesus was special. They're often referred to as signs. Signs of what? Signs of Jesus' authenticity. Signs that the kingdom of God on earth has been inaugurated. And in our Bible reading, when John the Baptist is languishing in prison and begins to have doubts about Jesus, he didn't have doubts as Richard reminded us when he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. But he began to have doubts when he was in prison. And, and Jesus' answer to him is, go and tell John. John says, are you the one who was to come? Or should we look for another? And Jesus replied, tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. These are the signs of the kingdom proclaimed and prophesied by Isaiah. And on the day of Pentecost, today, Peter also cites the miraculous as credentials for Jesus. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Wouldn't it be fantastic to witness such miracles? Wouldn't people flock to follow Christ if such miracles were commonplace today? People hungry for the spectacular asked Jesus to perform miraculous signs, and he said, you're only interested in novelty. You wouldn't believe even if someone came back from the dead, and then he did precisely that. He spoke harshly to the Galilean towns where he performed miracles because these miracles did not lead to repentance. And bizarrely, we read of Nazareth, his hometown, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Oh, in Mark's gospel it says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I think that's one of the most ironic and understated verses in the Bible. He couldn't do any miracles there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But when we reach the book of Acts, when we reach the church age post-Pentecost, which is where we're living, I can only think of two miracles as opposed to healings or exorcisms. There may be more. I may have missed them, but it all depends how you define a miracle. There was the night Paul and Silas were in jail singing hymns in the stocks when an earthquake burst open their chains, and as someone once said, they sang the jailhouse rock and they brought the house down. <laughs> but Paul and Silas did nothing. It happened to them. Similarly, when Paul was on Malta and a venomous snake attached itself to him, instead of dropping dead, Paul simply shook it off him. A number of years ago, I did a pulpit exchange with a pastor in Tennessee. And in the sticks, Hicksville, Tennessee, where we were, there were sort of signposts to all sorts of churches on every country lane. And they had weird and wonderful names. And some of them specialized in handling snakes. And it was in the newspaper while we were there that somebody had done the snake handling and been 
killed by the bite. But some people have taken the snake handling so seriously, they've made it a major part of their doctrine. Oh, there were reports of two people raised from the dead in the New Testament and in the book of Acts, and Ananias and Sapphira struck dead. Do we call that a miracle? I guess we do. I want to say, I believe in miracles, for I believe in God. I believe in miracles, for I believe what the Bible says. And yet, have you noticed this? Many of us are very happy to believe in miracles so long as they took place 2,000 years ago or 2,000 miles away. In primitive countries, but not here. And I've got a problem. Even though Jesus told his disciples, and by extension us, that we would do greater things than he did, and even though Paul tells us that miracles is a spiritual gift to be given as the Spirit decides, I don't think I've ever met anyone who either would say they had this gift or would claim to be a miracle maker. I asked Graham the question. He said he didn't think he'd met anybody in that category either. The only miracle maker that I have knowledge of is called Jesus. Now hear me carefully, I'm deliberately distinguishing between healing and miracles because Paul does this in the list of spiritual gifts and John Farron spoke about the gift of healing last week. I acknowledge that healing miracles are much more regular, often associated with the particular ministries than nature miracles. However, I also notice that when Paul speaks of ministries as opposed to gifts, and we looked at this some time ago. He lists five, and we know them well by now. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I noticed that neither miracle maker nor healer is on the list. However, I believe in miracles because I've experienced miracles. I've discovered that with God, nothing is impossible. In about 1980, I was involved in a church near Edinburgh, which was involved in a new building project. We had a little old building that uh, had a capacity of 100, and it was getting full. We never had to turn people away, but it was getting full, and in faith, we set out to build a new building. The, the picture on the screen's a, a, a bit dark. That's when it's been built a few years, but it was a beautiful, new, state-of-the-art building at that particular time. And here was the deal. Every month, the contractor would submit a bill. Every month for about a year, the amount of money in our building fund matched exactly the amount of the builder's invoice. And we hailed that as a miracle month after month when those bills came in. Strangely, once we got into the new building, the flow of money dried up and it took several years for the church to be debt-free. Now, here's the thing. Goodness, I'm beginning to sound like Graham Clark. Here's the thing. <laughs> From the first day we entered that new building, the congregation was of such a size that it could not physically have fitted into the building we'd left behind. Is that a miracle or what? When I worked for Evangelical Alliance, I was an occasional guest on an early Sunday morning chat show on Premier Christian Radio. It was hosted by the late Rob Frost, although he wasn't late when he hosted it. <laughs> and usually the researcher would ask what I wanted to talk about, 
And invariably, as an organization, we had something, a project or a campaign that we wanted to profile. But inevitably, our item was forgotten and the chat went all over the place with interaction among the various studio guests. It was actually great fun and I believe some people even listened to it. But one morning, Rob announced that we were going to have a live link with a pastor in Sydney, Australia. Wildfires had been encroaching on the outskirts of the city for some days. Properties were evacuated and there was no sign of a let-up. And the pastor shared firsthand what was going on. And then as, as he finished, I heard Rob Frost say, Well, in the studio here today, we have the Reverend John Smith, UK Director of Evangelical Alliance, and I'm going to ask him to pray for you. So I started to pray. And as I started to pray, something happened. I found myself praying with unusual authority for the rains to come and for the devastation to cease. And at lunchtime, our time, the news media reported that in Sydney, Australia, the rains had come. Wow, what I prayed for on earth that morning had actually happened. And it seemed it was a miracle. One week later, I was driving down to Kent for a preaching engagement. Early on the Sunday morning, I had the premier radio show on in my car, and Martin Eden, one of my colleagues at EA, was a studio guest with Rob Frost, and I heard Rob refer to the previous week's show and my prayer for rain, and Rob said, when John prayed so specifically and with such conviction, I was really worried for him. He was setting himself up for failure, an embarrassing nosedive. He expressed relief that the rains had actually come and that my fervent prayer was vindicated. Now, Merv's been speaking to us this morning about open doors. Eddie Lyle, the president of Open Doors, toured a North Korean lady called He Wu around the three sites of spring harvest in the springtime. Was anybody at spring harvest? Did anybody see We Who? No. But we who? She was round the sites, and on all three sites, people prayed for he who, for the persecuted Christians in North Korea, and for the man whose name I can never remember fully, Kim Jong-un, you know the one I mean. Now, on April the 27th, there was a post on Facebook linking the new peace accord between North and South Korea with prayers at spring harvest. And one lady said, a young teenage boy watching TV news had said, Mom, listen, that's what we prayed for. And it happened. In the epistle of James, we read about Elijah praying for rain to stop and start. And James says, Elijah was a person just like us, and he prayed. In other words, we all have the potential to see miracles happen as we step out in faith in response to God's prompting. Ours is a supernatural faith. Ours is a supernatural God, and the supernatural God who created planet Earth and all that is in it has absolute right to break into that creation and to change the rules when He chooses, or put it another way, to let us have a glimpse of the reality of His kingdom. Why would He do that? Is it principally to help people who are in difficulty? Jesus certainly helped people when He had compassion on them. Is it principally to increase the faith level of Christians who are struggling to believe? What did Jesus say to Thomas, who made the bold statement that he would not believe Jesus had risen from the dead unless he could place his hands in the nail prints? He said, blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet believe? Is it so that unbelievers would have even less reason for the unbelief? Well, actually, as we've already commented, the miraculous doesn't easily impress the cynic. Although the stories of Muslims meeting Christ in dreams and becoming Christian believers are compelling, and we thank God for them, I think we begin to understand the meaning of miracles when we think in terms of the kingdom of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came on the scene announcing the kingdom of God had come and miracles happened. And yet the kingdom has not come in its entirety. Otherwise, why would Jesus teach his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come? We can understand the coming of the kingdom of God, as John also said last week, John Farron, in terms of now and not yet. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated here on earth by Jesus in his ministry, but the kingdom of God in its fullness is still to be played out. And so miraculous signs occur sporadically or perhaps intensively in some situations of spiritual power play for a time. Listen to a more mature, reflective John Wimber than the guy who said, so when do we do the stuff? He said, miracles are a foreshadowing and a promise of coming universal redemption and the fullness of the kingdom. Casting out demons signals God's invasion of the realm of Satan and Satan's final destruction. Healing the sick bears witness to the end of all suffering. Miraculous provisions of food tell us about the end of all human need. Stilling storms point forward to the complete victory over the powers of nature that threaten the earth. Raising the dead announces that death will be done away with forever. Random or sporadic occurrence of miracles may be understood in the words of the Graham's Hendrix song, powers of the age to come are breaking through. And this may be particularly focused and intense at times of spiritual conflict. Listen to this reflection. Given the escalating intensity of spiritual warfare in our country and the fact that God is changing his church from an audience into an army, we can expect an increase in the number of power confrontations or power encounters in the days ahead. As Satan uses counterfeit miracles to deceive and enslave people, we ought to be open and available for God to energize the working of miracles through his body, the church, so that people are enlightened and liberated into his kingdom. I need to ask you this morning, are you open? Are you available? Are you ready? Are you hungry? Not for novelty, excitement, and thrills, but for the advance of God's kingdom here and now. In one of the prayer rooms in number seven, there's a question asked, what would Bridge North look like if lots of people were saved, if lots of people became Christians, if the kingdom of God was expressed here? And people have put all sorts of things that may happen in such a situation. Well, Richard and I have both said today's the day of Pentecost. When we remember how God poured out his spirit on a waiting group of believers 2,000 years ago. It's almost also the culmination of a period of prayer entitled, Thy Kingdom Come. I wonder, are you ready to pray this morning? Come, Holy Spirit, as at Pentecost. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And are you ready for the possibility that God will act in miraculous ways?
Have you the faith that he can do that? Not the faith to make him do things, just to prove something to us, but are you open to the faith that your openness, readiness, and your praying can actually change situations and circumstances? I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning at this point. Would you do that? Would you stand if you're able? I just want to use two of the expressions that we've used already this morning. Uh, and I want to say, come, Holy Spirit. And I want to say, thy kingdom come. Would you say those two things with me? Come, Holy Spirit, thy kingdom come. Let's just 